2 Timothy chapter 3, hopefully you're there with me. Verse number 14 says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I'd like to talk to you tonight about the importance of the Bible. Last uh, time I preached was about a month ago. We talked about not just reading the Bible, but do you remember? Reading and heeding. Oh, obeying and, and following God's word, not just reading, but heeding God's word. I did a, uh, a message, oh, it's been several months ago now, kind of an overview of the Old Testament. Tried to help put things in chronological order and help you see the big picture of the Bible. And I've had several people that asked me to keep going and do the New Testament. So we're going to do the New Testament tonight, give you an overview of the New Testament, hopefully help you, whether you're a mature Christian and know the Bible well, or whether you're young in your faith and you're still wondering how the Bible and the books of the Bible fit together. We're going to do a little bit of uh, overview tonight. Some might say a, a survey, but help you see chronologically how things fit together and what, of course, the overall message of the Word of God is. When I was a young boy, I, we didn't have smartphones. You know, we didn't have those back then. Uh, I used to enjoy, in my spare time, brace yourself, reading the encyclopedia. Okay? I did that. Okay? Anybody else do that? All right, I'm not alone. Okay. Now, we didn't have the big multi-volume set, and whenever you find a set of those, they're always about 20, 30 years old anyway, so they're outdated, but some things don't change. But we had this big world book thing. It was like all in one volume. I don't know how they bound something that thick. But I decided when, I don't know, I must have been 10, 11 years old, that I was just going to read that whole thing. And I think I did. I'm not sure. My mom might be watching tonight. I'll probably get a text from her partway through the message. Um, I, I, I left my phone back there, so I won't see it. But uh, I don't remember if I got all the way through or not. But to me, that was just interesting. I love to read. I love to gain knowledge. And before you think I'm too crazy, some of you do the same thing. You're just doing it on your phone now. You sit there and read stuff and read stuff and read stuff, and you surf around the Internet. It's the same thing. It just happened to be on, on, in a book. You remember what a book looks like? It's got, it's got covers and pages. Okay, we remember what books look like, right? Uh, I remember the other book I just loved looking through and reading as a child was the Guinness Book of World Records. I always just thought those things were interesting. And I shared a little bit of my testimony about a month ago. I didn't really start attending church until I was 16 years old. Uh, when my dad was killed in a car accident, the Lord got a hold of my heart, and I started going to church. And uh, got reacquainted with Christ, who I had accepted as Savior many years earlier, but I decided once I started going to church, my pastor kept telling me I needed to start reading the Bible. And I remember looking back at that Guinness Book of World Records, and I was so proud of myself. I went to my pastor and told him, Pastor, do you know 
that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time? I mean, that was a revelation to me. I didn't know it. Uh, I looked up the stats in preparation for this message tonight, and it's over 5 billion copies being sold. The closest thing, the closest thing to it is uh, 1.1 billion copies was uh, that book that Mao Zedong wrote. What was it called? Um, Quotations from Mao Zedong, from Chairman Mao Zedong. He sold, they sold 1.1 billion copies of that. Now, the interesting thing is, is when they first published that, it was only for the armies and that sort of thing. And, of course, you know China's population is huge. What's China's population now, do you know? What's that? 1.4 billion out of about 7 billion people. In comparison, the United States is 330 to 340 million people. And China, so China is a good three, four times bigger than the United States, okay, as far as population, not land mass, but population. So Mao Zedong, it's interesting, uh, of course, he, he was the leader of the Communist Revolution in China in 1949, and between 1949 and 1976, they actually, uh, what they say, his, uh, he halted the distribution of other books, for a while in order to avoid competition for his book. I guess when you're in a communist country, you can do that. Uh, but anyway, that's how they sold 1.1 billion copies of that. Of course, the Bible's still a good five times more than that. The next closest one is the Quran. That's a 800 million, so the Bible's still, you know, six, seven times, eight times more than that. It, the, the closest... Other work other than those three is like um, 115 million, something like that. I think it was, uh, it wasn't Harry Potter, it was Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings. So the Bible, the best-selling book of all time. I was so proud that I learned that. When I was 16 years old, I told my pastor, he looked at me like I was an idiot, you know. And I was, because of course the Bible would be the best-selling book of all time, right? Uh, by the way, we're in good company. Believing the Bible puts you in a large majority of humans throughout history. Uh, it's only been the last 20 to 50 years where there has been such an assault on the authority of the Word of God. In America, it, start, it started pretty serious in the 1960s when they took Bible reading out of the, out of the public schools. And um, it's been downhill since then. America... President Barack Obama said it, can no longer be viewed as a Christian nation. I was sad when I heard that, but in a very real sense, there's some truth to it. We used to have a Christian foundation to our nation, and that can't be said as much anymore. A whole generation and now two generations have learned that, well, you know, the Bible's just another book. The Bible's not just another book. Uh, when I... Uh, read a couple quotes here from some of our presidents. Ulysses S. Grant said, Hold fast to the Bible as the sheet anchor of your liberties. Write its precepts in your hearts and practice them in your lives. To the influence of this book, we are indebted for all progress made in true civilization, and to this we must look as our guide in the future. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Theodore Roosevelt said a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. 
Ronald Reagan said, of the many influences that have shaped the United States into a distinctive nation and people, none may be said to be more fundamental than the, and enduring than the Bible. Abraham Lincoln says, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good of the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. The Word of God, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, the Word of God gives us the ability to learn of our own sinful condition, to learn then of the Savior who died to pay the penalty for our sins so that we may have eternal life in heaven with God our Father. And so looking at the Word of God today, it's not just a book. In fact, it could be more aptly said it's a library. And it's a library of 66 books. It's not just one book. It includes books of history where we see Genesis, uh, how things began. We don't have to wonder how things happened, you know. Did, did the Big Bang create it all? Did we become humans out of apes that came from fish, that came from primordial ooze? You know, the Bible doesn't teach that. There's no way, Christians, for us to say that Genesis 1-1 is true and evolution is true. Uh, by the way, I remember struggling with that when I was 16 years and started going to church, started reading my Bible. And I realized that the Bible said something different than my science teachers had said all the way through school. I just learned it as fact that evolution must have happened. Um, But it's not true. The Bible is a book of history. The Bible is a book, uh, it has law in it. We see Old Testament law in there. We We see a lot of laws in America when our country was founded were based on Old Testament laws and principles. We see books of poetry in the Bible. So again, the Bible is a library. It's not just a book. We see letters in the Bible where Paul wrote this letter to this struggling church. John wrote this letter to the believers that were following him. And just such a variety within the Word of God. The Bible is written by over 40 different men, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. It was not written, you know, by one person who sat down, who got a revelation from God and wrote it down. It was written over 1,500 years from a time period about 400 B.C. before Christ and through about 100, 110 A.D. There's a little bit of discrepancy in the dates, but just as far as an estimate there. Those writers of the Bible... They were shepherds, they were kings, there were fishermen, there were doctors, there were peasants, there were tax collectors, and they were from various different locations. They were from Rome, there were some from Jerusalem, many from Babylon, which would be present-day Iraq, many from Persia, from Iran, Greece, and Turkey, different writers of the Bible with different perspectives, all used, holy men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, is what the Bible says. So we have 66 books, 40 different writers, almost 1,500 years, over 10,000 events recorded in Scripture. 
By the way, we have to be careful, those of you that work with children, to not teach Bible stories. They're not Bible stories, are they? They're historical events. It's what happened in history. Uh, Throughout the Word of God, we see miraculous events, but we also see everyday stories. A record of historical events that took place. Now, there are some parables in Scripture that didn't happen. They were used to teach a lesson, but... What many of us teach as Bible stories are actual events that took place in history, and we need to be careful that children don't believe that you go to church to hear a story from this book, and then you go to school to learn real information and real history. This is real history. In fact, this is his story. It's one story. It's united in theme. The theme of Scripture from the Old Testament is showing us our sinful condition and pointing us to a Savior. The New Testament shows us that Savior was Jesus Christ, who died to pay the penalty for our sins, and we can have redemption through him. And then we not only have life, but we can have life more abundantly by obeying the principles of Scripture. We not only can have eternal life, but we can have abundant life as Christians. The Bible teaches us how to do that. It was written over 15th century, but it claims one author, and that is God. 2 Peter 1.21 says, prophecy, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Do you believe that? That's where we get the word inspiration. In our, in our passage that we read in 2 Timothy here, that all scripture is given by inspiration. Inspiration of God. Literally, that word inspiration means God breathed. God breathed breathed his words into that writer, and he penned it. He wrote it down. Okay? Of the 66 books of the Bible, 39 of them were in the Old Testament. We talked about that last time, right? Uh, We talked about uh, the beginning of of creation, and then we had the fall. Genesis chapter 3, then we had the flood, Genesis chapter 6, very good. Then the Bible goes on to describe the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then we see, I'm skipping some things, I know that, okay? (laughs) Uh, How could we skip? uh, before the flood, yeah, Noah, the big, the, the oldest guy, 969 years, Methuselah, okay, how could we skip Methuselah, right? Um, but then, of course, Noah, the flood, then Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, uh, then we get into Moses and the Exodus, these are not stories, this is history, just reminding you of history, this is what took place in the Old Testament, uh, you know, B.C., in that time before Christ. Then we have the time of the judges, and the last judge was Samuel, who ushered in the first king and anointed the first king, who was Saul, who led the United Kingdom when all of Israel was one kingdom. After Saul was David and Solomon. Good, good. Um, And then after Solomon was the divided kingdom. Remember that? We have the divided kingdom. The, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. 
And then we go on to the times of the prophets. Now the prophets, we learned last time, the prophets, many of them were contemporaries with some of the judges and the, the, the United Kingdom and the, the uh, divided kingdom. They prophesied, they shared God's message at the time they were going through those chronological events. So it's not that every book in the Old Testament is in order. This prophet that might be you know, here in our library of books of the Bible, and this passage about what was taking place in the life of King David, this, even though it's you know, eight books later, the time period was happening at the same time. And we're going to see that in the New Testament as well. Okay, So in between then the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have about 400 years. 400 years history is still happening. The Bible's just not recording it for us. Unless you're Catholic, then you have the books of Maccabees and, the, you know, the, the, the books in between the Testaments, uh, several other books that the Catholic Church has decided to, to put into the Bible. Uh, but history is taking place in those 400 years. Some people refer to them as the 400 silent years. They weren't really silent. We just don't have a biblical historical record of them. Um, the biggest thing that's taken place is Alexander the Great is conquering the known world. And if you look in your history books, the, the Greek Empire took over all of that area around Mesopotamia and the Mediterranean. And he basically forced the Greek culture into all of the Middle East. And at that point in time in history, when the New Testament was getting ready to happen, uh, when Jesus was getting ready to be born... Uh, most of the known world, the heavily populated portions of the world, spoke Greek. I think it's very interesting that the Bible, the New Testament, was written in Koine Greek. Koine means common. It was the common Greek. It was the language of the day. Alexander the Great, I think God used him to help prepare the way of the Lord so that when Christ came and the Bible was written, most people could read the Bible, read and understand. Kind of like English today, obviously there are many languages in our world today, but the language of business and a lot of, a lot of people learn English in addition to their native tongue. Uh, like here in, in, in uh, America, a lot of us learn Spanish as our, as our first language because we have a lot of uh, Spanish influence and Hispanics and those that come from South America and uh, Central America up into the United States, so we want to be able to communicate uh, effectively. That's kind of how, uh, you know, how, so we teach Spanish in our school. We don't teach three or four other languages because that's the one that's most prominent. Well, back then, if you were in grammar school and you were learning your language and, and the next language you would, you, you would learn would be Greek because that was the language that was accepted of the day. So that's the Old Testament. Then we get up to the New Testament. Of those 66 books, 27 of them are in the New Testament. So let's talk about the New Testament a little bit. Contrast the Old Testament with the New Testament. Old Testament has 39 books. Obviously, the Old Testament's longer than the New Testament. 39 books. In those books, we learn principles. We must remember that the Old Testament was written primarily to the Jewish nation, but for our learning and for our admonition. There are things within the Old Testament that apply to the Jewish nation that don't apply equally to the church. 
And when Christ came, they, it refers to it as uh, the Testament or the covenant, uh, the old covenant versus the new covenant. When Christ came and gave his life for us, uh, we kind of entered a different, many people call it dispensation. And so uh, the Old Testament was written over 1,500 years, before, uh, written in the 1,500 years before Christ's birth. And the Old Covenant was primarily with Israel. Uh, of course, the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew, some Aramaic, but primarily in Hebrew. And then the New Testament, we have 27 books then written in Greek. By the way, the New Testament was written after Christ's death. It wasn't being written while Christ was still alive. Uh, the eyewitnesses of the accounts, uh, and they started writing then uh, after Christ's death. The New Covenant then is to all nations, not just the nation of Israel, and the New Testament was written in Greek. Okay, so now we're ready to talk about the New Testament, the, the message of the New Testament. So the message of the New Testament is this, Christ is coming. Aren't you glad for that? And then it shared, or the, the Old Testament emphasizes that Christ is coming, and then the New Testament shows us that Christ has come. The Old Testament points out that we had a sin problem. The Old Testament shows us the sacrificial system that God used for them to cover their sins. It was a temporary covering. It never took away their sins. But it was a picture of the final once-for-all sacrifice Christ would make. For our sins. The Old Testament pointed to the Savior. And so in the New Testament, then we're looking to the Savior. And then we get into the first four books of the New Testament. They tell us independent accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, right? So Matthew is first, then Mark, then Luke, then John, right? No, they kind of all happened around the same time, okay? So let's talk about this for just a moment. The Gospels, uh, has anyone ever seen a parallel Bible? A parallel Bible will, can do a parallel of the Gospels. Well, there's two different kinds of parallel Bibles. There's a parallel Bible that has this version and this version and this version. I used to use one of those a lot. I, I would have the King James next to my, the, the Greek and... I thought that was interesting to be able to go back and forth. And I haven't used my Greek as much over the years. I, used to, I, I had a Greek minor, or a biblical languages minor in college, and I used to just take my Greek New Testament to church with me and review it while I was reading, and I've lost a little bit over the years. But it's interesting to see what was said here, what was said here. There's also parallel Bibles that show, like the King James Version and another... Uh, English Standard Version, NIV, those sort of thing. And it's kind of helpful when you study to be able to see how other people have translated it. Um, but that's, that's one idea of a parallel Bible. A lot of Bible theologians have made parallel, they've done a parallel of the Gospels. So they'll take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they'll, they'll, they'll put the passages together. They're covering the same time period. Now, John goes a little bit later than the other three. But it's basically the story of Christ's birth, death, resurrection from four different perspectives. So it's not like this one came first, this one came second, this. They're, they're contemporaries, okay? And what's interesting about it is the different perspectives that they have. 
Matthew looked at it a little bit more this way. Matthew, or Mark looked at it a little more this way. It, it made me think a little bit of uh, how people tell stories. I'm trying to th- find the examples here. Um, Pastor Rick, you have four children. Something happens in the family. They come to tell you about it. You get four different perspectives, right? And uh, I, I was thinking of something that happened to me years and years ago. I was, uh, I was riding my bike, and it was actually February, and it was in Michigan, so it was a little cold. But we had an early thaw. And in my hometown of Blissfield, Michigan, we had the Raisin River. I was raisin like, you know, a, a shriveled up grape, not like it was raisin, you know. But it was raisin, really. Uh, we had a flood. We had an early thaw in February, just several days in a row that... Uh, for some reason, it got really warm, so a lot of the snow and ice was melting. And the Raisin River was flooding, and it was flooding in the streets. And I rode my bike everywhere. I was one of those kids that uh, I would just ride my bike everywhere until I got my driver's license, and I drove everywhere. Um, my cousin and I were riding our bikes, and I saw this part of the road that I'd ridden down several times, and there was water across it. Of course, back then, I had a 10-speed you know, 10-speed, you could shift it down, way down and low gears and pedal real fast. And uh, We can ride through this, no problem. So my cousin and I are riding our bikes through that. I'm ahead of him. You know, I'm like, come on, come on, come on. Well, all of a sudden, it starts getting deeper and deeper. It was up to the bar on the bike. So we're pedaling. I mean, we're soaked from here down already. But then the current starts coming. And you can't really see the current much until you're in it, Right. So I'm pedaling away, and this current's coming. Did I tell you it was February? It was cold. <laughs> so anyway, my cousin was a wimp. Guess what he did? He turned around. But I kept going, but I got to the point where I just couldn't keep going, and so I was going to just jump off my bike. I was already wet. Let me just push my bike the rest of the way. Well, I jumped off my bike, and I kept going. There was no bottom. It was like I was riding here, and when I jumped off my bike, I went right down into an open manhole. Of course, I'm, I think, probably 13, 14 years old at the time. So I'm thinking, uh-oh, I'm going to die. I wasn't worried about alligators. We weren't in Florida. But when I caught myself, I caught myself right here. Well, right here was the road. And so I'm way underwater right now. So I caught myself, pulled up, got my bike, I stood up, and I looked around. I wanted to make sure my cousin was okay. No, I didn't. I wanted to look around and make sure nobody saw me. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Uh, so I got up. I pushed my bike the rest of the way. We rode about a mile back to where I needed to go to get changed and dried off. And I was thinking of that story, a story which, by the way, I didn't tell I think my dad knew, but I don't know if my mom knew for quite a while, because that would have been rough. She knows now, but uh, I was thinking if someone else were to tell that story, let me, let me do my kids so I don't embarrass anybody else with your kids. Uh, I have six children. Many of you haven't seen uh, all my kids because they're, they're grown-ups now, but for those of you that know my kids, one of my, kid, one of my kids would have... Uh, you know, told the story kind of like I told it, about like that. One of them would have told it 
My dad, when he was, when he was a teenager, he was so dumb. You know what he did? Uh, one of my kids would, would say, well, you know, the bike, the gearing on it worked because it was a larger sprocket on the front and a smaller sprocket on the back. And a manhole, that cover won't fall down in the hole because the round design is designed so it won't fall down. If it was square, it would fall down through. And let me tell you what caused the flood. Nobody knows who, which one of my kids would have said all that. One of my kids would have said, yeah, dad got wet. <laughs> and one of them would have made the story that I told about an hour long and added in so much flowery language. It would have been just wonderful to behold. You know, two-thirds of it might have been true. Uh, but, you know, when you think of your kids telling stories or reporting what happened, that's kind of like the Gospels are here. We have four different perspectives from four different life experiences, all in, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that God used them to pen it, to write it down. And they're telling the story where Matthew is, is emphasizing Jesus as the Messiah, and he's talking to the Jewish people that have been looking for this Messiah for so long. Mark, he's a little bit shorter and more to the point, just the facts, less detail. Luke, Luke is more uh, educated Many believe he was a physician. He wanted to validate Christ to everyone who read. John was a leader of the, the early church. And John wanted to validate these, validate these new believers and to prove to them that what they believe is true. Um, he wanted to tell, tell them who Jesus is and how they tell their story. They all used different literary techniques but these are the first four books of the gospel called, or, or the, of the New Testament called the gospel. So the gospel means good news. And so we have four different accounts of the good news. Of course, they're going on at the same time. These are written, actually written down, after the fact, after Christ's death, okay? Um, they were, three of them were eyewitnesses. They were there. They saw it all. Luke was the only one that was not an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, but he knew many people that were eyewitnesses, and they all lived and died around 30 A.D. Um, then we look at the four Gospels, and they're showing the prophecy of the fulfilled, the prophecies of the Old Testament fulfilled through the life of Christ. Um, so the message, what's the message of the Gospels? Throughout the Gospels, we see the writers of the Gospel sharing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the uh, different parables that Jesus told to teach a, teach a life lesson, different miracles. Uh, the four Gospels tell the purpose for Christ's coming. They reveal Christ's perfect life, his teaching and his service. They give evidence that he's the son of God and that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That's the message of the Gospels. Uh, the Gospels, the events happened between about 3 B.C. to 30 A.D., but they were actually written from like 43 to 85 A.D. So they were written a good dozen years or so later than the events actually happened. Um, and by the way, the Gospels do not contain everything that Jesus did. We know that because the Bible says it in John 21, 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, 
If they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. John 20, verse 30, 31 says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by that believing you might have life through his name. So that's the Gospels. Now we go on to the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, is a history book. It's telling what happened in the early church from about 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., thereabouts, okay? So Christ, Christ has already died. He's risen. And then we have his appearance to many. We have the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes down um, uh, the day of Pentecost, something different the Holy Spirit's doing now. After Christ leaves the earth, the Holy Spirit is now coming to indwell believers. Remember in the Old Testament, we saw the Holy Spirit empower God's followers, but not indwell. So David had to go up against Goliath. The Holy Spirit would come upon him, and David did God's bidding through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, we don't see in the Old Testament in, uh, indwelling and staying with believers. The day of Pentecost is when that all changed. After Christ's ascension, the Holy Spirit came down. We see the ministry then of Peter. Uh, Peter ministering primarily to the Jews. He was the first preacher to the Jews, telling them that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And then we see uh, not only the ministry, but the martyrdom of Stephen. And one of the people that were there was, remember, Saul of Tarsus. And then we see the conversion of Saul, who then became Paul. And we see his ministry then, primarily then to the Gentiles. That's all happening in the book of Acts. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what Acts teaches us. Acts shows us the time in between Jesus' death and the, 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 basically the early, early church, how the church, churches were formed. And so we see that historical account. Not a story, but a historical account of how the, church, how the churches were started after Christ's resurrection. And then we see books 6 through 26, the next big, long a big stack of books within this library of God's word, written between 50 and 100 A.D., are referred to as epistles. The word epistle means letter. So Paul goes and he helps start a church. And later on, he writes them a letter. James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and he wrote them a letter. John was was an early pastor, and so he wrote the church a letter. He wrote Christians' letters. What the epistles are, and they're happening uh, during the book of Acts, so the Acts is the chronological history of it. During the book of Acts, these early church leaders, early church fathers, were writing letters under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to congregations or to individual Christians. First uh, and Second Timothy were written directly to Timothy. Titus was written directly to Titus. But we see these epistles, these were letters written by apostles and prophets in the church to various churches and individuals. They're instruction in Christian living. 
Not just, here's how to be saved, but here's how you ought to now live. And so that's what we see in the epistles. The epistles, which are Romans through Jude, they're letters to churches and Christians. They have various authors. Uh, I put down there five of them. We've got Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude. Nobody's really sure about who wrote Hebrews. Most people think it was probably Paul, but not 100% sure. Um, but the epistles are reinforcing salvation through Christ and then giving principles for Christian living. These things have I written unto you, it says in 1 John 5, that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what's written in the epistles. We want to make sure you know you have eternal life. And then Romans 6.18 says, Being then made free from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. Now that you're free from sin, we want you to become servants of righteousness. If you're a new person in Christ, let's now live for the Lord. We're new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The epistles tell us how to live the Christian life. So those are the epistles. And then we get to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written shortly before the death of John. And this is John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. When John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord, John the Apostle was one of the 12. And uh, it's the 27th book of the New, New Testament. He talks about the past, the present, and the future. In fact, it's interesting in Revelation 1, 19, if we had time, we'd turn there, but we've got kind of a, a synopsis on the screen for you. Write, God told them, Write of the things which thou hast seen, that's the past. Write of the things which are, that's what's happening right now. There was prophecy happening right then in John's day. And the things which shall be hereafter. So God told John to write down in the book of Revelation the things which he saw, the history, the past, what's taking place right now, and what's going to happen and so that's how we get the book of Revelation. So much of the book of Revelation is what's going to happen. A lot of people that love prophecy love the book of Daniel and love the book of Revelation. Because Revelation points you to the end times and what's going to happen then. Revelation was a book written to the church at the end of the last apostle's life uh, before the canon of Scripture was closed. Revelation 1.3 says, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Aren't you glad God knows the end? We're all uncertain in this world about what's happening and what's going to happen. But if we read the book of... The, the books of the Bible, the, the 66 of the old, the, I'm sorry, the 66 books of the Bible, the 39 of the old, the 27 of the new, we, we know the rest of the story, so to speak. And we know that ultimately God is victorious and we're home in heaven with him if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I hope that's true of you today. John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but to, for to steal and to kill, and to destroy. I am come, Jesus said, that you might have life, and that you might have life more abundantly. I pray that you have eternal life tonight, and I pray that you're also enjoying the abundant life. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I pray that this message tonight would be a blessing and a challenge to each one of us. Help us, Father, to be students of your word. Help us, Lord, not to rest on something that we've learned five years ago or ten years ago, but help us, Father, to continue to grow in our faith. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here tonight that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that they would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. And Lord, I pray that if there's those here that have read the Word of God but not obeyed it, that they would start obeying it, that they would see the importance of being a doer of the Word, not a hearer only. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.